Yeah, we are in the uh, fourth week of a series called Going Home. You know, and we're talking about a divine adventure that God's got us on. We are feeling strongly called to a, a permanent home, a permanent facility just up the road at Pinecrest and 74. And, but it's so much bigger than that. That's just not what it's about. It's about the hearts and the lives being transformed. It's about God being glorified in more and more rich ways than we could have ever imagined. May we continue to go after his glory as we repeatedly exercise our experience of home right here. That's what we're talking about. Well, God, how do we go about this big vision plan of following you? You have a plan. You're trying to accomplish something. What do we need to do to follow with you in that? That's what we've been walking through as we're going through the book of Ruth. And uh, so I'll just give a quick summary here. We go back to Ruth chapter 1. We were talking about Ruth as a woman who was faithful. The challenge there in that week was to be faithful. And, you know, there was a family that was refusing to remain under the disciplining hand of God. There was a famine going on. They were trying to escape out from under. And, and they all went to another place trying to get away. And it turned out that family ended up going through a lot of severe hurt. Uh, the husband ended up passing away. Then the two sons passed away. There were uh, two daughters-in-law that were now a part of the family. And these women are left to their own devices to try to survive. They end up heading on their way back, and Ruth makes it very clear what her position is as they're on their way back towards Bethlehem. And she takes her arms and flings them around Naomi and clings to her, the scripture says, and tells her with visual form, I'm not leaving you. I'm here. You're going to be protected. And then she gives a a great speech of your people will be my people. And and she goes through this great promise time, right? Ends up with your God will be my God. Ruth is actually aligning herself in faithfulness with the God of the universe as he's moving. And and then we move to chapter 2 where we see Ruth working hard day and night. We see her working in the fields. We see her hard work being basically blessed by God. We see Boaz using what's been entrusted to him, all the wealth that he has and the grain that he now has in the harvest, and he's allowing Ruth to be able to glean in that and benefit from that. God blessing through others that allow their stuff to be used for him. That's what we mean when we say, may we truly grasp what God's doing in your life and let him move. We're talking about a chance to be, yes, faithful, but we're also talking about a chance to be fruitful. God, I want to work hard for you, and I want the stuff that you've entrusted to me to be something I can use for your glory. And then we get into the third chapter, which was a moment of interaction between Ruth and Boaz in the night. And Ruth has planned some strategy with Naomi and she's taken some time and they've worked together on what the cultures of the time are. And she goes and she rolls back his garment to kind of reveal his feet and then lays down on his feet and goes to sleep. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be at the feet of someone today. That's going to be a part of what we talk about. But she's making a big statement about humility. And she's also making a big statement about being willing to marry him. Ruth has stepped out strategically. To make that open and known. And Boaz and Ruth have a little bit of an interaction. And, and uh, she gets sent back home with some more grain and some more care and a plan in, in place. It brings us to Ruth chapter 4 today. We're going to be talking today about what it means to be, to be fulfilled in the midst of following him. To be completely joyfully satisfied as you run hard after him. 
that's what we're going to be looking at. So before we go forward, I want to just get our arms a little bit around Ruth chapter 4. We're going to do something a little different here. So for the next few minutes, I'm Boaz, okay? I think he was older than me, or at least I want to think that. But So Boaz, ready? His take on Ruth 3 and 4. You know, I can't even begin to explain to you what happened last night and today. I can barely get my arms around it myself, but I'm going to give it a try. Last night, I go over to the threshing floor, you know, all that grain we'd collected up, and we need to be beating it and throwing it up in the air and getting the chaff to blow, and we're trying to just, we're working our tails off to say, thank you, God, for what you provided for us, and Lord, I just want to make sure that I'm honoring you as I'm continuing to work hard. That was my prayer. And so we're working hard all night at the threshing floor and we had a great time of celebration as we worked and then really a great time of celebration as we ate and got fed and then got some drink. It was a wonderful time of working hard and celebrating that truly God has lifted the famine and we can celebrate his provision for us. You know, I laid down that night and, uh, well, I had no idea what was coming. I laid down at the end of the grain heap. I wanted everything to be protected and safe, and I fell asleep. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe somebody could come. They might want to take something. I need to be a little bit aware, but I still need my sleep. And I crashed. It was probably about midnight that I woke up. And, uh, boy, I had no idea what was coming. Something startled me. I mean, I, at the end of my feet, I, I, all of a sudden I felt a bump as I stretched out. I look up, and I'm telling you, I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. I leaned forward, and I'm like... Who's there? And I heard the most soft, gentle, female voice respond. It's Ruth. Your servant. Your servant. I mean, she's not my servant. You need to understand. You know, I allowed her to work in my fields in order to be cared for. I lavished some of what God had lavished upon me to her, but she is far from my servant. She had no business humbling herself that far. But you got to understand, this girl's something special. Like, she's had my attention for a while. And yes, she's attractive. I mean, yeah, Ruth's hot, but it's more than that. I'm telling you, this woman is unbelievable in character. This woman has it together like I can't explain. She comes in here, a woman from another nation. She's uncomfortable with the town. She's uncomfortable with the rules and regulations. She figures out how to do it, how to go after it. And she works hard. I mean, we're talking from morning to night. She is working. She takes little tiny breaks here and there, barely stops. She's working harder than my servants. They need to take a little note from that. Ruth has unbelievable character trustworthiness, dependability, consistency, hard work. That's what caught my attention. And I saw God working with her and providing for her in the midst. So as she says, it's Ruth, I can only tell you, my heart was starting to beat a little bit faster. Like, what is she doing here? What is she thinking? And then she said in these soft words, probably the most poetic thing that's ever been said to me, She said, spread your wings over me. She was asking me to protect her, to care for her. 
She was doing more than that. She was actually tying back to something I said to her a few weeks back where I said, hey, it's honorable that you are allowing the God of Israel to spread his wings over you. That's amazing. And now she's saying, I think God's asking you to do something. At least that's what I think she's saying. We had a little bit of talk on it. And I'm telling you what, spread your wings over. You guys have to understand she was basically offering for me to marry her. That's what was meant by that. It was take your garment and cover me. That was the thing we do when we're getting engaged to someone. She was saying, marry me without saying, marry me. She said it in a very poetic fashion. And oh yeah, I understood what she wanted. I'm telling you, my heart was in my throat. I could barely believe the opportunity I had for such a sweet, kind, mature young woman who could go after any other young guy where quite frankly, there are other people closer to her relationally that could take care of her and she's coming to me what a privilege so i basically sent her on her way that morning early had her cared for sent her home i had a job to do i did everything i could do to get it managed and i mean fast i went down to the city gate you know the place where the elders hang out the guys who know what's going on in the town and they're trying to make sure things happen in an orderly fashion i went and hung out with them and i'm sitting with the elders and i'm kind of you know Waiting around and looking and I'm telling you, it wasn't but a few minutes. And there comes the Redeemer, the guy who's closer to Ruth than me, who's responsible for taking care of the land and her if he so desires. I got to get that guy to say he doesn't want to do it so that I can. And so basically, I ask the elders to pull up a chair and I turn to this redeemer and i say sit down here friend and he kind of gives me one of these sideways looks and goes okay and he sits down not really sure what's coming and then i see the 10 elders around him and he's like now what's coming what's going on and he said i i need to hear you what's happening and i told him here's the deal naomi has some property for sale and you need to realize this property well it's a good deal She's in a tough spot and she needs to get rid of it. It's for sale and you're the closest kinsman redeemer to buy it. If you want to buy it, it's yours. Here's the problem. He looks at me and he says, all right, I'll buy it. What What do you mean you'll buy it? I'm telling you, the first thing I thought was, hey, I'm the one who's been working with this woman for the last seven weeks. Are you kidding me? I thought, this can't be what God wants. Surely he's not moved me all the way through this so that all of a sudden I could introduce somebody else to her. This can't... I'll just go to the next point. All right, fine. Just know this, you also have to marry Ruth, the Moabite. Better get that in there, right? Make sure he understands what's going on. Ruth, the Moabite. And you need to do right by her and the inheritance there. And all of a sudden I saw his face flush out. It was like he was saying, you've got to be kidding me. And right after it, he goes, I, uh, I, well, I won't redeem that or her. I changed my mind. I'm going another direction here. First, he says he will. Then he says he won't. Little impetuous. I'm not sure why the guy didn't figure out all the information first, but he did say, forget it. I'm not doing it. It'll risk my inheritance. So he stepped back. I looked around and I pointed at each and every one of them. And I said, you're my witnesses. You heard him. He's done with this. Like, I don't want this coming back later. Everybody understand. 
we need to lock this up and do business right now. He exchanged his sandal with me. Deal done. Witnesses present. Elders saying they got it. Bang. It's over. And let me tell you, this is how good it got. All of a sudden, I have a promise that I can go forward. That Ruth's going to be my wife. That I can possess that property. That I get the chance to participate with God in what he's doing. More than that, this town of people from Judah... They stand up and they begin to give us a blessing of how great she's going to be as a woman and how God could use her in the lineage of Israel. It's awesome to see what God can do. I had the privilege of watching his hand move. And now I'm getting married to an unbelievable, worthy woman, Ruth. That's a little bit of what we see happening in Ruth chapter 4. We're going to turn there and we're going to go through the rest of Ruth 4 as well. Just learning a little bit on how we can be fulfilled in the midst of God working his big plans. We've got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in, your hand, in their hands. If you need one, just raise your hand and they'll uh, get one to you, okay? Just get a hold of them and they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to dive into Ruth chapter 4 now. We're simply answering, well, how can I be fulfilled as I follow after God? First point, celebrate that our God is willing to redeem. Celebrate that our God is willing to redeem. Notice this, we start chapter 4 out. Remember, it ended with chapter 3. It's the middle of the night. It's the threshing floor. He's released Ruth and let her go home, and he's promised he's going to take care of some business. So chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Basically, he didn't mess around. He didn't waste any time. He took off and he got there right away. Notice, had gone. Like, he's up there before sunrise, hanging out, waiting for the elders to come along, waiting for this other redeemer to come along who has a chance to purchase and marry Ruth. It says, he went up to the gate and sat down there. We just need to realize the city gate was a place they did business. This was the place where you went and hung out and you talked to the elders who were informed and they were responsible as the older people in the community, but also the wiser people in the community to decide for people and resolve amongst people what the problems might be that are going on and help them resolve these business decisions in a way that kept order in the community. He went to that city gate and he wanted to talk to those elders to get things resolved. Okay. It says, and behold, We've talked about this before, that word behold. What's it mean? It means, check it out. It means, you got to see this. So yeah, Boaz goes up there. He's hanging around, but check it out. The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz had some things to say to him. Boaz is seeing God's hand move, even in the timing of when he's there and who comes along. Boaz says to the Redeemer, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And, uh, well, he turned aside and he sat down. Then he took the 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Everybody knows what's going on now. They're seeing the quorum being called together. They're seeing this judicial forum where the elders can make a decision. Something is going to be presented now. So he says to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I, well, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. 
If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. In other words, you're the closest. I'm the next closest. What's your decision, man? I need to know what you're doing. His answer, verse 4 at the end there, he says, well, I will redeem it. Verse four and a half, Boaz says, no, okay, that's not really written, but I guarantee you that's what he's thinking. You got to be kidding me. No way. Uh, You don't know what I've been doing here. You don't know what I've been working. Verse five, then Boaz said, "Uh, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require, acquire Ruth, the Moabite, not the worthy the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He's convincing him that there's a cost with this. You better be careful. A cost that, by the way, I am willing to pay, but I think you might not be. He shares it with him. And the man says, the redeemer says, well, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. In other words, hey, I could have firstborn sons here. They're losing stuff because if I marry her, And I need to then give away property to that firstborn. And it follows that name. What happens to my kids and their stuff? I'm not messing up the inheritance. You take care of her if you want to. I'm done. Well, owning land, that I'll do. Marrying her, no way. No way do I go that direction. Next statement. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He has clearly said, I'm done, you're in. It's kind of that tag team thing, right? Like, I'm out, you're on, I can't handle this. This one's not for me. The Redeemer has stepped in. It's Boaz. Boaz has now got to have, you can only imagine, his heart's got to be pounding and racing. He's now gone through the conflict. He's talked it through. He's been able to convince. He's had people around hear it. Boaz has momentum. And he's got things moving his direction. He's got to be pretty excited. But more than that, he's also appropriate to be the redeemer. Three marks of a redeemer. I want to write these down. Three marks of a redeemer. Number one, in order to be able to do these things that they're talking about with the land, with the, with the marrying and the protecting of a family, you had to have some kind of relationship. There had to be a near relative element to it. Okay? You had to be near him. Number two, you had to be able to pay. In other words, you can't say, I'll redeem it. And then they're like, it's whatever, $500. I don't have $500. Then you're not the redeemer, right? If there's no ability to pay, you're not the guy. The redeemer needed to be a near relative, needed to be able to pay. And third, needed to be willing to pay. Willing to pay. There is an opportunity to step back. In fact, if you're close enough as a kinsman redeemer... It's not just asked of you, it's demanded of you. And if you didn't, did you know this? The the mother, Naomi, would actually have the right to go spit in the person's face if they refused. Now, if you're distant, if you're further away than that, then you actually had a choice. And this redeemer was further away, he had a choice, okay? So you needed to be near as a relative, you needed to be able to pay, and you needed to be willing to pay as a redeemer. Now consider this. This is a story. True story. A story of Boaz who represents Jesus Christ. Boaz is the redeemer of Ruth 
just as Jesus Christ is the redeemer of you and me. And we get to learn about the redeemer as we see this happen. In fact, we just listed three things about a redeemer. Think about Jesus with the three marks of a redeemer, a relative. Well, actually, God became man and dwelt among us, a relative. You have to be able to pay. Well, actually, he's the only one who could pay. The only one who is holy and righteous. The only one who is the almighty divine God who could reach into our lives and make an impact. And we don't have what it takes to make the payment needed. We come up short. Yeah, he's able to pay. But he's also willing to pay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is able. He is willing. He has taken on flesh with you and me. He is our redeemer. Amen? That's who Jesus Christ is. Our almighty redeemer. Meted out in scripture. Boaz, a great representation of him. You know, it reminds me of a story. There was a pastor. His name was A.J. Gordon. He was a pastor of a church in Boston. And uh, he talked about, he went outside of his church one day and there was a little boy out there and he had this old rusty cage uh, that you put a bird in, like a bird cage. And as he opened it, you know, the kind that goes, it was so rusty, you know, as he opens it up and he had these two birds in there and they were fluttering all around and making a ton of noise, squawking. They really had really not a whole lot of value to the boy. And the man looked at it and he said, what are you going to do with those birds? Where'd you get them? He said, I just caught them out and back. They're wild birds. They don't even have a song to sing. They just have this screeching sound. And I'm just going to play with them for a little while. And I said, well, then what are you going to do with them after that? I don't know. I'll probably just feed them to my cat. And he said, I'll tell you what. I'll buy the cage and the birds off you right now. He goes, you don't want to do that. There's more of them just right out and back. They're stupid. You can catch them yourself. Go do that. And he said, I don't want those. I want these right here. He gave him $2 and the boy went away happy as all could all get out with his cash, puts it in his pocket. He takes this rusty cage and goes back behind the church and he opens up the cage, right? And he lets these wild birds out. And he said, I swear to you, I've never heard a song like I heard from those birds as they flew free for the first time. And I was their redeemer. That's us with our redeemer. How much should we be celebrating and singing a song as we are released to freedom by our redeemer, Jesus Christ, as we can glorify him for all eternity, pointing to him, singing at the top of our lungs about our almighty God. We have a redeemer. His name is. Jesus Christ, the Almighty One, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our God. We have a Redeemer. He bears the marks of a Redeemer, and we can celebrate Him with all we've got. That's our privilege. Amen? That's our God. May we constantly celebrate Him, recognize His uniqueness and His purpose. Recognize His purpose in your life. Celebrating that our God is willing to redeem. Number two, worship him for his willing sacrifice. Worship him for his willing sacrifice. 
We start in verse 7. It says, Now this was the custom in former times. Note that. This is the custom in former times. I mean, this was written just a couple hundred years after the story of Ruth. And even then, it was already a custom in former times. So this custom is definitely old to us, right? This is a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. I mean, why did they do that? What was the point of handing a sandal over? I have to say I did a lot of reading and uh, there's not a lot of clarity to it. One of the thoughts is that maybe as the guy walked around on his property and his sandals were touching the very property, that by taking that sandal off and handing it over, he was saying, where I have tread is now yours. But there is some agreement in some way as he's handing the sandal over. And I got to tell you, there's also another view, which is these sandals and the sole of the sandal and the seeing of the feet is actually a very humble position. And there's some humility going on in the transaction. Feet were considered very dirty. You know why? Because they were, yeah. I mean, it's a real thing. And as they're handing this across, they're kind of interacting on it. And he hands the sandal. That's his choice to make the deal. So he says, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Machlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Machlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Notice he opened and he closed with you are witnesses. I need you to hear me now. You're witnessing this. And then he made the deal where he passed the sandal across. The sandal is everything as far as guaranteeing the transaction. The shoe meant a ton. Did you know it still means a lot to those in the Middle East? As a matter of fact, in this whole Egyptian thing that's been going on, Diane Sawyer walked across the stage to begin to share a little bit. And they had made this really cool mock setup and they put the Egyptian map out kind of on the floor and up the side of the wall. And as she began to walk out and talk about what's been going on in Egypt, she walked onto the map in the area where Egypt was and began to speak of it. And so for you and me, we're like, oh, I get it. She wants us to think about Egypt and geographically where it's at. And for every Egyptian, this is what they saw. And I will put the sole of my shoe on your face. And stand on your country. It was this despicable moment of horror. As she was standing over them. And on Egypt. Showing the sole of her shoe. It was a way of basically saying I curse you. It's a huge deal. We really need to recognize the cultures in which we work. Let's throw a picture up. The, uh, this is a picture from two weeks ago. In Egypt. There were some talks going on and they're talking about the democracy and some of the movements that can happen. And and this was a photo that was taken and, well, you see what they're doing? They're showing them the sole of their shoe. They're like, yeah, we couldn't disagree with you more. This is what we think of you, right? And they're they're showing them the sole. Like, here is what I think. You see the dirt on it? That's what I think of you. That's what's going on. These guys are making a huge statement. See the one guy looking at his shoe? I wonder if she's catching this, you know, it's a big deal. The shoe means a ton in the Middle Eastern culture. 
It carries with it great import as to how you handle the shoe and what you do with your shoes. Be careful. It means a lot. In this case, there was a transacting of handing a shoe over to attest to the deal had. And then he says, you're my witnesses. Blah, 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 blah. You're my witnesses. Bookending it front and back. I got to know that you've seen this thing, right? I need to hear that we've communicated. In fact, communication does not go where I talk and then I'm done. That's actually not full communication. Full communication is when we start getting feedback and we start asking, where are you at? And so this request actually gets followed up. It says, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. He said, I need you to hear this. You need to be my witnesses. And they responded back, "Uh, we are witnesses. That's absolutely what we are. Then all the people at the gate said that. And they said the following, may the Lord bless and make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Hey, those are two big league names. Those are some big time women in the, in the lineage of Israel. And they are basically saying, Ruth is being accepted into the very lineage of Judah. May God bless her as he has blessed the wives of our patriarchs. This is a big deal. She's being accepted by the people now. May the Lord bless like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily. Remember, we see you as worthy. Now act it in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. May God bless you with children and generations and offspring. May his lineage be working. May his plan be at work. God, the mighty redeemer, with an unbelievable plan. You know, Boaz came in to redeem and he followed what needed to occur. There was a set ritual that needed to happen to express the transaction and the purchase. We have a God who says, I want to be your redeemer. And he's got a very specific transaction process that he wants to see occur. He wants to see us walk through this with him in this way. Well, what is it? What's God's method for us finding him as our redeemer? Let's just write a few verses down, okay? First, Romans 3.10. Romans 3.10. We got to recognize. It says, there is none righteous. Nope, not one. That's what it says. It's not, there are a few righteous. You just got to look hard. Or You can find some perfect people. They're rare, but it's not what it says. No one perfect. Okay? Pretty easy, right? Maybe everybody should just say it with me. What's it say? No one's perfect, right? Pretty easy to buy. I can tell you I've only met one person in my life who claimed to be perfect. And by the end of the conversation, they changed their mind. Okay? It's pretty easy to go, well, I guess you're right. Maybe not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. That's pretty easy. But it's bigger than that. Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, that word sinned, it's an archery term. It means to pull back and fire the arrow in a competition. And you miss the bullseye. Actually, you missed the outer rings too. You, you missed the complete target. You came up short and you hit the sand. And that's when they would go, whoa, he's sinned. Okay, it was an archery term that meant, meant you missed everything. He's saying we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a lot like 
in basketball today, right? Somebody pulls up from three-point land, maybe they're 23 feet out, and they take the shot, and they only put it about 19 feet, and you come up about four feet short, completely missing rim, net, everything. And the audience starts jeering and crying. What do they say? Air ball, right? That's what it is. He's saying, you've all come up short. You've all shot an air ball. That's where we stand. How many points is an air ball worth? Yeah, zero, you know? Well, my air ball was closer than yours. I'm just telling you, dude. Like, I almost hit the rim, and it's still worth zero. And that's the problem. We've all come up short of his glory. That's what we need to recognize. You know, we're told in Romans 6, 23, the next verse, it says, the wages of that sin is death. Eternal separation from Jesus Christ. Eternal separation. That's the penalty and payment. So how in the world do we move from eternally separated to he's my God, I'm living with him for eternity? Answer, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it simply says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, not some Lord, but your Lord, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, says you will be saved. That's the transaction. It's Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross as a replacement payment for you and for me. It's him risen from the dead and offering us eternal life with him. It's us being able to say, I want to give you my whole life. I'm trusting in you with all I've got. May you be my redeemer and use your shed blood for me. That's where the word comes from. It means that he's bought us with a price. The price, his life, his shed blood on the cross. Our redeemer. He bears the marks of a redeemer. Near, willing, and able. He loves us with all he's got and he's making a replacement payment. What we need to be doing is we need to be worshiping that with all we have. Lift his name up with all we've got. Here's my question. Have you made him your redeemer? Have you trusted in him with all you've got? And simply said, Lord, please use your shed blood on the cross to forgive what I owe. I came up short. I admit it. I'm not perfect. Please use your payment to replace what I owe. I want you as my redeemer and my Lord for life. Have you said that? If you haven't, now's the time. Right now is the chance to simply say, God, I want to make you in charge of my life. Here's what I'm going to ask. We're not done, but let's just take a moment to bow our heads. We still have a third point in the sermon. We'll get to it. But let's just bow our heads right now. And let's just wrestle for a moment in laying it before him. First, if you have trusted in him as your redeemer, if you know him as your savior, let's just take a moment to worship him. Just to say, thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. Praise his name for him freeing you with his blood, for bringing you into his family, for giving you eternity with him. Just thank him now. Spend a little bit of time with him. Worship him. Lord, we praise your name. We lift you up. You truly have 
won us to you. May we give you our lives. May we depend upon you with all we have. You are my redeemer. Thank you for what you've done for me, Lord. And now I just ask for those who haven't. You might be saying, yeah, I I don't know what this is. I don't even know what you mean by it. I'm not sure I have. You may have even been somebody where you said, you know, I prayed a prayer a long time ago and I don't know that I've ever seen a difference in my life. Maybe now is the time to not just pray a prayer with words on your lips, but literally to give your heart to him and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. If that's what you want to do, just repeat this prayer after me. Say it softly where you're at, just quietly. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm not perfect. I know I've come up short. Please forgive me. Please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I know there's no works I can do. I know there's nothing I can do to earn it myself. It's all you. Please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. Thank you, Lord, for being Lord. And now may you please be the Lord of my life. I give you all that I am. And I trust in you. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. You know, if you just prayed that prayer, we would love to talk with you afterwards. Make sure you get to us. We want to help you take some next steps. And quite frankly, somebody might be saying, I prayed that kind of prayer before. And I got to tell you, I really haven't seen any change in my life. And here's something we say. It's not about the prayer. So hear my heart in this, okay? It's not words. It's not some magic mantra. It's, I truly have given him my heart. And a faith that saves is a faith that changes. We will be changing from one degree of glory to the next if we're trusting in him. If we're leaning on him, if we've handed him our heart, he will take you and grow you along the way. Lean on him with all you've got. Your God, your redeemer, your friend, your savior, Jesus Christ. Our Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to be worshipped with all we've got. Amen? We need to worship him. We need to lift his name up. We need to literally be saying, Lord, may each day of my life be a glory to you. May I somehow show you off. May I somehow lift you up. May you literally be lifted up because people have heard what you're doing in me. Lord, may I share of your greatness. That's our privilege to worship him, to share of him, to be celebrating the great redeemer and king. That's what it's about, to celebrate him, to worship him, ultimately fulfilling. And then there's the third point. Look forward to all that God will do. The best is yet to come. Look forward to all that God will do. The best is yet to come. Listen to this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Naomi beginning, beginning to rock this little one who's almost like a grandchild to her because of her relationship with Ruth. Excited about the relationship between Ruth and Boaz and all that God is doing as Ruth is now being brought under the fold of the God of Israel. And it says in verse 17, And the women of the neighborhood gave him, that is the child, a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. You know what it means? It means worshiper. They named him the one who reminds us constantly of the Almighty God. They named him the one who points to the glory of our Savior. They named him the one who is constantly reflecting upon the Redeemer, our Almighty God. That's a name for a kid, right? So every time they called him, it's like, hey, worshiper, come on over here, right? Hey, one who constantly points to us and reminds us of the glory of God, come here, right? That's who they're talking about. They named him a name that would reflect what God was doing in their midst. Obed, worshiper. And get this. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's right. King David, the king of Israel, is the grandchild of Ruth. God didn't just have a plan. He had an unbelievable plan. God wasn't just working. He was moving mightily in the nation of Israel. And Ruth was being ushered into a very special spot where she got to see not only God moved just right there in a family and protect, but he literally, she literally got to see kings come through her blood. The Lord moved as he provided. And then we get to see a A lineage that's written down below that proves that we're talking about the king of Israel as he talks through. Now, there are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab, Nashon. Nashon, Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, Obed. And Obed, Jesse. And Jesse, David. Yeah, that's the David I was talking about. That's why the lineage. Like, you need to know I'm talking about the king of Israel through this woman. Does God bless or what? That's what we need to be saying. Do me a favor. Let's just keep this in mind, okay? So there's two blessings that came out of this. In Matthew chapter 1, we go and we find out that the lineage of David actually then leads to the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Messiah, also through Ruth. David and Jesus. Grasp that for a moment. Do you think Ruth had any understanding of that at the threshing floor? I mean, how many times have we been in a moment where we're wrestling with something God's asking us to do? We're trying to be faithful, trying to be fruitful and strategic. We're trying to lift God up and be fulfilled with him as much as possible. We have no clue what's about ready to come. Trust in your almighty God for his plans and what he's got. Do this with me, okay? You guys right here, you have a job. Remember this phrase. Are you ready? The phrase is king of Israel, okay? Now say it with me. What's the phrase? King of Israel. That's the blessing that came through Ruth. What's the phrase? King of Israel. Okay, you guys, you got to say a bigger phrase. You ready? King of kings. You ready? King of kings. I need it with heat. You ready? King of kings. Ruth 
was just being faithful and fruitful and strategic and she watched God move and God blessed. How? By the king of Israel. How? By the king of kings. That's God moving. He's ready to move in your life. He's ready to make an impact in your life. I'm talking right here, right now. We have a decision. Are we ready to let God move us and say, wow, he is so worth worshiping. I know a God who's real and he's alive and he's moving in my life. You need to know him. That's our message that we can take to the streets. May we know our God so passionately, so purposefully that we can bring him glory. The message of Ruth, I simply summarized it like this. Redeemed with a purpose. Redeemed with a purpose. That describes you. Redeemed with a purpose. What is it? What's God calling you to? Where is he taking you? I'm excited. Because I have no idea what's sitting in our midst. Who knows what God's going to be doing with this room. And with what happens from this room. You're a part of God's purpose. Redeemed. Let's celebrate him and worship him with all we've got. Let's pray.